But that mic, we bought a mic. We bought a mic. We bought a mic. We bought a mic. Who's that? Who's this guy? We bought a mic. We took it and we bought it and we purchased it. Hello. If you're wondering Hello. which artist that was, it was just us. It was, that yeah. That was straight from the heart. That was, uh, yeah. And welcome to We Bought a Mic. I'm your host, Ernest Calderon. I am your, also your host, you're also your, I am your host, Hunter Mobley. And I am your, also your host, Drew Dietzen. Y-O-U-R or Y-O-U apostrophe Why Y-R. Y-R, like LCD sound system song titles. Oh, yeah. Like yourself. Oh. Just Y-R. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, welcome to We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast where we talk the latest in film, TV, music, cinema. Media in general. You know. Anything, what, everything. Yeah, whatever's tickling our fancy for the week. Whatever's, whatever's uh, licking, licking our politics, licking our fingers, and our and our eyeballs. Yeah, whatever's licking our toesies that week. And our eye holes. If something is licking my toes, I'm going to talk about it. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. It's it's gonna be brought up. <laughs> it's gotta. Okay. What, what are we talking today? We're talking a little little Rick and Morty, little uh, South Park, and getting into it. it. Major our major section of the week will be split up into a spoiler free and then a spoiler review of our thoughts and feelings on it. Yeah, in case you haven't spoiler, read, read it's the good. Book. It's yeah, good. it's it's good. It, yeah. I'd say it may be great. Oh. I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. We'll wait until we get there. I'm not going to express my full opinions yet. Uh, okay, I, I don't will, want really I don't quick. I want to tune out. I'll say in terms of like going to the movies and seeing like uh, having a theater experience for like a summer blockbuster, it's great for that. It is. It might you know you might watch it at home and be like, yeah, it's good. It's really good. But like in the theater, it was so fun to a watch. A pack theater, like yeah, yeah. it was awesome. Everyone was on the same page with like liking it. Yeah, in and that people theater. weren't being annoying. Like very good etiquette overall, because <laughs> sometimes you go to the theater and there's there's it's a packed theater, so the chances of someone just like being obnoxious and mm-hmm. intrusive are pretty high. There but, could be a, a, a cute little BuzzFeed article like ten different re- things that you're doing in the movie theater that are pissing off your usher, <laughs> like um, feeding your baby, breastfeeding, breastfeeding <laughs> your child in the theater. Don't do it, folks. I mean, it's dark. No one's maybe, gonna know. Maybe anyways. don't bring your fucking baby into a movie theater. Not okay, into it. That. Probably not, not into it. it. Yeah, not the best choice. Go see Boss Baby. Yeah. Um. So you want to start off with the news? Let's get into the news. A uh, quick little bit of news here. Netflix has announced a prequel for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest from the uh, American Horror Story slash Crime Story team. Ryan Mr. Murphy. Ryan Murphy slash Glee and Sarah Paulson. Oh yeah, I always forget he made that. Never forget. I don't. I don't. How do you guys feel about this? How not hyped are you guys <laughs> for this? Because I am. I, I am mean, the it's a opposite. good team. Like they, you know, they made American Crime Story, the the OJ show, which is amazing. If it's so, it's not just Ryan Murphy. It's those people specifically, or I. I'm not sure. I think it's mainly Murphy because you know, a bunch of people worked on that OJ show. Like yeah. everybody. Worked like if on he that brought show. that team over, I would have some more hope for it it's because called- Murphy on his own has been at best really hit and miss. I would, yeah, I mean, I would say at this point, like, I, 
I kind of I like the first couple seasons of American Horror Story, but I think it's just gotten bad now. Just straight up, it's a bad show. Yeah. At so, this point, so this is going to be an eighteen episode series. Yeah. Exec produced by Two, Michael well, Douglas. Oh, the Michael Douglas. Yeah, the throat cancer Michael Douglas of uh, of the, of. Um, well, oral sex with Catherine Seta Jones fame. Yes, of only that's the only thing that's he's known for, thing. as yeah. far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's EPing. Sarah Paulson is starring as Nurse Ratched, which you know you that's can't call the her. title of the show. Ratched. Ratched. Yeah, Ratched. I, I'd say Ratched, more like Ratchet. Oh, I think fuck. I think this is part of <laughs> oh, Netflix's uh, algorithm. Their algorithm tells them that the same people Honestly, who like yeah. uh, American Horror Story for some reason like One Fool yeah. Over the Cuckoo's if, Nest. If you haven't heard about the Netflix algorithm, that is some they literally just punched a bunch of numbers into some computer and it was like add Kevin Spacey plus David Fincher plus the president. Yeah. And, and, it, and it spits made, out House of Cards. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, you know what? We should sign like a multi-film, a multi-film deal with Adam Sandler. That's what people yeah, want. The yeah, like, they want. I love like, Adam Sandler. He's so funny. Haha. <laughs> they want seventeen movies with Adam Sandler and David Spade and Kevin James. I mean, to be fair, this algorithm has worked a lot. Yeah, those movies are so successful. They're successful. They're trash, but <laughs> it does seem like it might be like a product of that, though, where it was like, well, people like Ryan Murphy, people like One Flew, people like origin stories but at the, the thing moment. Is, like, who has ever watched One Flew over the? Cuckoo's Nest and is like, oh man, I wonder what happened before the mental asylum. Yeah. Like, nobody has ever thought that yeah. to themselves. Like, oh man, I wish that we had a two season prequel this could just, story. This could, it could just be bad. I don't want to imagine it as being bad because One Flew is my favorite movie of all time and I don't want them to do any. It, that's my main problem with this, I think, is that it cannot be as good as One Flew. Yeah, it opinion. won't. It's impossible. It's it, not going to. You shouldn't expect it to. I know exactly, but that just makes me sad because, like, anything worse, and I'll be like, well, it's not One Flew, but it's yeah. not, it can't be one flu so but it's, it's hard if there if it doesn't enhance the story then it's completely pointless and there's no point in even doing a prequel because the whole point of like in theory the whole main idea of why you would want to do a prequel to something is if it enhances the already the ip that's already yeah. there well and plus this can't she it's a good uh it's a good thing at the moment to do a nurse ratchet thing because she was a strong female character way ahead of like a yeah. time where there were strong female characters. Uh, she was very. She won the Oscar for the original actress for best uh, actress. And Sarah Paulson just won the Emmy for uh, American Crime Story. Yeah. I mean, I trust Sarah Paulson with it. I just hope that her material she's acting is uh, sufficient. Um, but I don't know. Speaking be- of the Emmys, they're this weekend. Hey yo, this Sunday. You guys have. Any predictions? Yeah, uh, are left- you familiar with oh, the yeah, leftovers, leftovers sweep? <laughs> yeah, R.I.P. The Leftovers, the most robbed show of all time. Mm. Not a single nomination. Yeah, uh, my prediction is that it's going to matter less and less who wins the Emmys every single yeah. year. Yeah, I think we'll talk about it once they actually happen. You know, we'll get into who won and who should have won. But I think a lot of people are saying that um, Atlanta has a good chance of winning. I would like to see it for Atlanta. That's the main thing that I want to see out of the Emmys, just because there's so many other shows like The Crown. Like, I'm never going to fucking watch The Crown. If you you ever read an interview with an anonymous Emmy voter, they're all, like, old as shit, and they don't seem like they really know what's going on. And, I mean, none of them, it's impossible to really watch all of everything that's nominated, so they don't... No way. So they only watch, like, a single episode. Yeah, exactly. One episode gets sent out of each show that's nominated. So that's what they have to base it off of. And oftentimes, good 
shows require context of other episodes. Mm-hmm. So getting to know the characters. Yeah. So that's there are plenty of reasons why the Emmys are going to become increasingly not very relevant. Um, There's too much TV. Yeah, especially in the age. I mean, we can all read critical reviews at this point. They're yeah. on the internet. They're Everyone everywhere. can make their own opinions. They don't have to watch the, the Emmys to know what's good. The one thing that everyone's been saying, though, is that The Handmaid's Tale is uh, probably going to win drama. And if you look at that show, Hulu made that show to get an to Emmy get nomination. Emmy. That's to literally... get noticed as a prestige <laughs> network. That was the main... I mean, I'm not knocking it. I've, I've seen the first two episodes and they're really good. I couldn't finish watching the, the entire show. But, you know, it's not a bad show, but its main purpose, its main existence is to get that awards recognition. Yeah, I don't really ever have a desire to watch Handmaid's Tale just because I'm sure it's good. But, like, it just it looks it just looks like it's Emmy bait. It's the yeah. same thing as you, we get movies every year that are just clearly Oscar bait that they're just fishing to get Oscars. And they don't have to really try and be a great movie. They just know if they hit the certain marks that they need to hit, then they're like, oh, sweet, then we can be recognized mm. as prestigious. Are you talking shit about Casey Affleck right now? Oh, I'm talking shit about Ben. <laughs> Manchester Live by night. <laughs> Manchester by the orchestra. Oh, my God. That's a good crossover joke that everyone will get. Eastwatch by the sea, anyone? <laughs> Woo! Hey-oh! <laughs> All right, let's move on to another little bit of movie news here. Star Wars! Back at it again. Mm-hmm. JJ's back. Yep. Called you know, it. I, I, had the, I knew that I didn't was call be. it, but Drew did. Yeah, I knew it was going to be. It was between JJ and mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson. Did I call it? I think you did. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I called it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, that, yeah, I think I did say that they'll just get a director, director like Ron Howard yeah. or, or Abrams. I was talking to a guy at work about this. They, Disney is much more comfortable with Marvel and with Star Wars of pumping out 7.5 slash 8s across the board oh, yeah. rather than hiring ambitious directors and ending up with either a 9 or a 5. They yeah. would rather just have a seven and a half. Absolutely. Yeah. They know they just want something safe that yeah. will sell toys. And I mean, I'm excited for JJ. I just, as long as it's, because I like The Force Awakens, but I don't want it to just be another recreation of a movie that we've already seen before, which I'm a little bit nervous that he's just going to be like, let's just recreate Return of the Jedi. Oh, I mean, good, good chance it's recycling <laughs> well, bring- a lot of material. I mean, franchises like this that already have guaranteed built-in money have no incentive to be ambitious in any way. I mean, everyone is going to see Star Wars. Yeah. Th- there's no doubt about it. Like, those movies are not going yeah, to no, fail. Like, there's no like, oh, we got to do something crazy to get people in seats. Yeah. They don't have to do anything crazy. But, but it, it makes you think, like, if people are going to see it, Guaranteed, why not try something new and different and bold? Well, one thing's for sure. We all knew that Colin Trevorrow was not making episode nine. I think that all of us knew, what? like, we were like, Trevorrow, after just coming off the book of Henry, he yeah. is not uh, making it. But episode I mean, nine. Colin Trevorrow is, is a safe choice. He's not a bold, you know, inventive filmmaker. Mm. He, he was already he did a Jurassic safe World, which is like just kind of, it's good, but it's not, it's not that good. <laughs> It's, it's all right. <laughs> all right. Well, I don't think we have anything much to say yeah, about you know, Star Wars. Trevorrow, Trevorrow. I love you, know, you Trevorrow. Everyone You're loves a day away. <laughs> everyone loves Star Wars. Everyone's going to see it. You know, those movies. We're going to be getting them for the rest of our lives. I just hope that JJ isn't super sleepy after this one. Like he was, he was real sleepy after making the Force. <laughs> he was Awakens. a sleepy boy. Yeah, he was. <laughs> everybody just talked about he couldn't do interviews or anything just because he was. He was just so exhausted. Yeah. Well, how do you? So, uh, so he was just like on a phone interview, like yawning <laughs> or something. You guys remember that bit from South Park where he's just like he's up just, in his bedroom? Yeah, he will come out. <laughs> yeah. 
that's that's probably what they had to do to get him to direct nine <laughs> is they had to pull up to his house and just literally beg him like jj yeah. please come please, back and then JJ, he did like here's literally a truckload full of money please and then he did like smoke signals or whatever yeah. from his bedroom two <laughs> two lights means he's he's good yeah to go. exactly yeah maybe damon convinced them speaking of damon have you seen the trailer for downsized Da- wait oh oh i was thinking of uh damon lindelof you're talking of matt damon yeah just tangentially just, <laughs> it's uh, okay so the, the downsizing is the new film from the director of uh the descendants i think his name is alexander he, Payne. he was a producer of the descendants i want to say maybe he directed as well but yeah it's i just saw the trailer for it the premise could be cool if you hear it's it, it's a weird trailer. It, yeah, it, the premise is essentially that the Earth, in order to avoid problems like overpopulation and like you know not enough food supply and stuff, uh, scientists invent a, a way that to shrink people down to five inches tall and just put them in like a little baby world where everything is shrunk down. Yeah, because they just take yeah. up less resources. And they and they like incentivize it by like like if you have like a hundred thousand dollars in the little world that becomes like ten million dollars and you're set for life and you live in a mansion and stuff. So that premise, there's stuff there. You can imagine there being a movie. The trailer, I didn't understand what kind of movie it's trying to be. Yeah, is it like a satire or a it, drama? Yeah, it had like some jokey moments. Like he gets shrunk and the first thing Matt Damon does after he wakes up is he looks in his pants and he's like, oh, brother. Okay. Yeah. It's like, what? I don't know. That just seems like it could be a big concept movie and they're going for cheap laughs like that at like the biggest moment of the movie. That made me not so excited. For yeah. It. I mean, it's co-written by Payne and he's made some good movies. You know, he made The Descendants and Sideways, which are both great. And then the um, you guys ever seen Election 1999 with Matthew Broderick and Reese Witherspoon? Yeah, that's a great movie. Really good movie. That's a great, great yeah, movie. Yeah, it's based on a novel. Um, actually... Based on a novel by Tom Perota oh, really? of The Leftovers fame. Oh. Yeah. So, it, it you know, good talent behind right. it. Kristen Wiig is in it. Could yeah, yeah. Wiig is Matt Damon's uh, wife in it. That's a classic couple right there. Damon and Wiig. It could be good. He needs Carell and Wiig when Ooh, you got speaking, Damon and Wiig. Speaking of trailers, when we went to see It... They played the new trailer for the the disaster artist, oh, and it was the first time I wow. had seen the full trailer because we'd seen the teaser that went around online. Yeah, but the full cinematic all, trailer, I was it- I had my hands in the air, <laughs> the entire I was freaking out. It made like, it look so fucking funny. I'm so stoked I for this movie. I can't wait for this. movie. I also didn't even realize it was an A24 movie or A26. Oh, A24. A24. Yeah, I did not realize that. Yeah, which that Indie lends, darlings. That, yeah, that lends a lot of credit for it. They do good serious movies too, and yeah. then they did like the lobster well I'm, I'm sure this movie's gonna have a lot of emotional weight to it you know they're, they're going for something big and 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 obviously coming out in december's uh award season so i wouldn't be surprised if it's being talked about yeah. when the oscars it, come around it looks genuinely hilarious though there was a little there was a split second in the trailer where you see a little peep of nathan fielder in mm, there. right in the corner so, there yeah i just i'm just saying opening night, i'll be there yeah i'm i'm so ready for that movie and i've uh, I've been watching interviews with Franco and and Tommy Wiseau because the the film just premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival. Mm, tiff. and people are going crazy about it, and they're promoting it over there. And you know, you see these interviews with Tommy and Franco, and Franco can't help but speak in the accent. Oh no, to yeah, Tommy. Oh <laughs> yeah. my god. Yeah, it's like he says that it's hard for him not to speak in the accent because he ended up directing in in the accent, like oh, fuck. because he's directing and starring in the film about an actor director 
yeah of so, the room. So basically, Franco's going all like Daniel Day Lewis, like, no, call me, call me Plain View. <laughs> <laughs> I cobbled my own shoes. Damn it! It's good movie, <laughs> big Hollywood movie. Did you guys see it? The Room is playing at the NZ in this month. We had to go Ooh. see The Room on the big screen. I, I don't know if I can watch that. I want to see again. The Room with a room full of strangers. Yeah, just all watching softcore porn <laughs> <Yeah>. together. <laughs> all watching great. Tommy Wiseau hump a girl's stomach. Yeah, that they mentioned that in the yeah. in the in the cinematic trailer. They're like, does he know where the vagina is? Because <laughs> he was he humps so incorrectly in the movie. They, yeah, they made it very. It's going to be like one of those things where they, they point out the things that like when you're watching it, you point those out because you're yeah. like, what is, what is going on with that? I just <laughs> hope it's, it's all cohesive, you know, because it's a story about a movie like you're seeing like the whole story of the movie is the movie being made, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's going to be tough. It's to, going to be good. I, I'm I calling it so. now. I have really high hopes for it. It's going to be funny. Give Franco all the Oscars. <laughs> Which one? All of them. All of them. Best picture? Why not? No, every Franco. <laughs> Give every Franco all the Oscars. If they, if they do win Best Picture, I want Tommy to accept it. <laughs> Thank you, Hollywood. Big movie time. Yeah, I did Little it. Little gold man, thanks. The long con. <laughs> you know, they say that uh, Tommy Wiseau is not even his real name. So that's why he yeah. doesn't care about that persona he, being tarnished. He is shrouded ridiculed. in mystery. Yeah. There's he has so the weirdest many, past. I wish that it doesn't really look like they're going to go super into it on the movie. I mean, we could be surprised whenever we actually see it. But I just want to know more about who Tommy Wiseau is. That, like, where did he come from? Because everything is so shrouded in mystery. How he says that he's from one place, but birth certificates and everything else indicate he's from somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, pretty sure he's actually from Ukraine. He says he's from, like, New Orleans yeah. or something. <laughs> Just, yeah, that in general, if you watch that movie, you want to know more. And that movie's going to give you more. The the new movie, Disaster Artist. Oh, yeah. I don't see how it can fail. Well, we'll don't speak so soon. We haven't seen it. Well, I'm not saying we'll, it's not We'll gonna. let you know on the podcast. If it fails, it would be like a magnificent failure on their part because that's a gold storyline that they have. Yeah, I just hope they make the best movie about the worst movie. Yeah, exactly. And then everyone lives happily ever after. <laughs> All right, let's talk about what we've been watching. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Room 104, which is the new Duplass Brothers show on HBO. Watched the first four episodes. I think there's a total of seven out now. Uh, I haven't seen the newest three, but this is a cool project from the Duplass Brothers. You know, their show um, Togetherness was canceled a little bit early from hbo even though they told the story they wanted to tell it was only two seasons yeah pretty good show had some real cornball moments particularly at the finale the very last episode yeah that was was corny as shit everything got wrapped up a little too perfectly yeah but i mean it was worth watching it was a fun show it's just one of those shows that relies very heavily on its acting and everyone is just great like absolutely great but the reason why it didn't work is because HBO was spending too much money on a show that no one was watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, they, they got a little overpaid for it. So with Room 104, the Duplass brothers managed to convince HBO to keep them around to produce a show that they were going to be spending a fraction of the amount of money that they were spending on togetherness. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like the most about Room 104. It's every single episode is told... It's a completely different story that takes yeah. place in one single room. So it's the same set. They don't have to you know, go to different locations or rebuild any different sets. It's the exact same set every episode. 
It's it's a uh, very similar to an HBO show from the mid two thousands called In Treatment that didn't get much love, but it's pretty good. And it's just about every episode is a different patient of this uh, psychiatrist. So it's just it's the same set like that, but it's one of the characters remains the same, but then the other character it's just all about the acting of the, yeah. the guest in that episode. Right, and with Room One Hundred Four, you not only get to see different creative teams. Um, in terms of acting and directing, but they dabble in different genres too. I think Mark Duplass writes most of the episodes. He doesn't write every single one, but he manages to tell all these weird and strange stories and and give you know these unknown talents a, a chance to showcase their work in in sort of a sandbox setting. So you get thriller, suspense, comedy, drama. Really, really anything. I mean, the, the show doesn't always work, but just the fact of it being this cool experiment in restraint, in, in telling a story in a single room mm. with just a couple of characters and see how weird you can get, there's a lot of novelty in there. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, it's a fun exercise. It's like a box episode, like a bottle episode, but every episode. Right, um, exactly. So it's just all about character-driven drama, basically. Yeah, so that's Room 104 on HBO. Yeah. What, I recommend you check it out. What was the name of the Mark Duplass found footage horror movie? Oh, that's a Creep. Weird movie. I'm pretty sure it's still on Netflix. It's literally all Mark Duplass. Like <laughs> he's entirely pretty Mark much Duplass. the only character. It's in Mark the Duplass film. and then the guy behind the camera. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. Um that I I enjoyed it. It's really good. Yeah. It's fun. It was it's just him being creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's just him being a creep, literally. Yeah. Um They're making a second they one. They made a they made Tangerine too, right? They uh, put money behind it. Oh, okay, they, uh, it, it's it's not a Duplass. Yeah, film. so so the Duplass brothers are at a point in their career now where they can look at other up and coming filmmakers um, that were in the place that they were ten years ago and give them money, you know, to to try to make it. Mm. So Tangerine was a film that was shot on an iPhone, mm. and it got this recognition from festivals of it being just this really great drama that was made on a zero budget. And the Duplass brothers found out about it and you know gave it that wide release. Mm. Great film too. Because the Duplass brothers are all about like making your own movies. Yeah. If you ever see an interview with them, it's like you don't have to have all the big budget stuff. Just go and make movies until someone notices you. Yeah, there was there was one of their oldest, most original um one of the Duplass brothers' first film is this film called This Is John from two thousand three. And it's on YouTube and it's literally seven and a half minute film that is just Mark acting and he's speaking into a phone. He's trying to uh, set up his voicemail <laughs> and it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Like just the story that you can tell with this man that's just trying to set up his voicemail and the emotion that they're able to convey and the connection that you're able to form with this character. You know, this film has no budget. Like they just shot it in, in a kitchen trying to set up a, vo a voicemail for a phone and that's that's it like nice. that's how they started out making films with a zero budget okay. and now look where they are at so room 104 on uh, hbo instead of what i've been watching i'm gonna go over what i've been reading because we recently had a hurricane sweep Ooh, through our state. oh yeah we never uh, we never went through our hurricane irma how yeah. we actually we survived yeah. there is another podcast this week you're listening to it. <laughs> you yeah. didn't realize that. We, we made it. We survived the hurricane. I think uh, 
You're the one who panicked. You left the state, Ernest. I I was <laughs> following my parents. They they you know convinced me that I had to you know, be yeah. be better safe than sorry. I went up to Tallahassee. Never lost power in Tallahassee, actually. So, yeah. but I I read I started reading this book anyway. It's a really cool book. It's called Meet Me in the Bathroom, and it's a non fictional. It's an oral history of the American indie movement that started like right after 9-11. So basically in 2001, when the Strokes and Interpol and like LCD sound system first like were in the makings of basically. Uh, so it's all about, it's a lot like the punk movement of the 70s. Like when punk started, it wasn't just like a band was like, oh, we should just play like this. They were playing like that because they had a crowd that they hung out in of about like hundreds of people. And they knew that that crowd would resonate. Like they knew that the music would work with that crowd. So it's all about this community of like music journalists and people and other musicians that all just fed off of each other and ended up creating something that became huge. Um, and it's, it's just really, really cool. You get to learn about all the bands that kind of like they had a spark and then they ended up dying because of like, you know, heroin or something ended up just not killing the people, but killing the band. Yeah. Um, and this is specifically New York. Yeah. It's all, yeah. It's all set in New York city. Um, it's, it's just super interesting. I'm reading, like, I just read a chapter that's all about James Murphy, um, of LCD Ooh. sound system. And how he was always like a kind of an OCD asshole, like in production, and he still is. But <laughs> he, I mean, he's a really talented yeah, producer. Yeah, but he he used to just do like kind of normal, like like modern '90s indie stuff that wasn't really breaking through with anyone. And then he would go to these parties that everyone would go to, that this whole movement is centered around. And his friends eventually finally convinced him to take ecstasy at one of these parties. And he just couldn't stop dancing after that. And <laughs> Would that's, you say he danced himself clean? Li- yeah, that's what the song is about. It's about that time period of just like sweating out drugs. But yeah, that, that changed his whole philosophy on music that made him get into dance. And that's why all of his music is like dance infused. That's yeah. when he showed Daft Punk to the rock kids. Yeah. Oh my God. Is that, is that when he threw out his uh, guitars and bought turntables? Oh, I mean, he, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that'll be in the next chapter. <laughs> but he, uh, apparently he was like producing albums for other people and they would hate him because like he, he wanted to make them dancey. They well, weren't punk enough. Well, he wanted to make them how he wanted them. And also he could play every instrument in the room. And when he was making music for DJs that didn't know how to play stuff. So oh, they, shit. yeah, so they would have to be like, I just want this. And he'd be like, okay, you got it. But then he would make it more how he wanted it. Cause he could actually do it. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's fun to read about these people, especially at like a time period where like, you know, sort of like a big bang explosion happened and rock music was, shit in the later 90s it was all ass until this movement started can we talk about uh, uh lcd sound system for a second because now that the album's out there's this debate going on about whether or not the comeback was worth it like people are saying that the whole breakup may have been some sort of gimmick to try to because you know they got a number one album yeah mm-hmm. American Dream is their first number one record, which James Murphy always wanted. That was his dream. And what did it take? It took a breakup and five years later, a comeback I for think it that, to happen. I think that, like you just said, like it was worth it, at least for the band themselves. Like, They're making so much money. They're bigger than they could have ever dreamed I mean, of be. It sucks for like classic fans of LCD, I guess, especially like if you went to that show, you thought that this was like a spiritual experience. You were getting the final show of LCD yeah. sound system ever. 
and then they just came back a few years I mean, later. It wasn't even that long of a breakup. You really. can debate the legitimacy of the breakup and whether or not like that was like a real thing from the start. But I, I mean, if you're a fan of them, then having more of them is better. Yeah, and the exactly. album, the album's not the best album ever made. No, it's but not. It's, I don't even think it's their best album, but it's a great album yeah. and it's worth listening to. I've been it's listening better to, than most music. Yeah, I've been listening to it a lot more. It's it's probably in my top five of this year. Yeah, yeah, it's a great album. Like it was, I, I think it's absolutely worth it. Like I'm just, I'll always be happy if there's more good LCD sound system. For sure. No matter I, what it takes. I just can't imagine what sort of thought process James Murphy must have had to convince himself that he had to end this band. He's, I mean, if you, he has a lot of interviews in the oral history and uh, meet me in the bathroom. He's a weird dude, very in his head, very like cerebral, but in like kind of like a, you know, recursive, like snake eating its own tail kind of way where he's like self-destructive kind of just like almost too self-aware where you could see how he would just get it in his head. Like I got to kill this and then like get in his head. Like I got to bring it back. Well, there's (laughs) a point in the, in the uh, documentary that came out that's on Netflix right now about LCD's last show. Like he kind of alludes to the fact that he's just like, I, we were getting like too big. We were just getting too big, too fast, and he didn't know how to handle it. Like he always wanted people to listen to their songs, and he didn't know what to do when people were actually listening that's, to the that's band. That's really funny that "Too Big" for him is still not a yeah. It's name. still like it's sixtieth on the charts. Yeah, big for indie. I think because when it com- when it comes down to fame and recognition, there's always going to be a backlash, and we're definitely seeing that now. You know, the the unbelievable hype for the LCD comeback is directly linked to people bashing the album you know they're big enough now that they're gonna have haters it's just the way it is you're not gonna be universally beloved uh, you know a hundred percent there's always gonna be that opposing force whatever though it's i mean i don't know how you could argue that no they should just stayed gone they put out another good album fuck them like if you don't like the album then i could see that but it's not that much of a departure from their last stuff that i feel like most fans of them can't really hate the new i feel like and it's good because it's a good taste of old LCD while still being something new yeah. and different. Um, in, in some alternate reality, they just did the Radiohead thing and just went away for five years without yeah. ever saying anything about it. Yeah, and then came back and put out In Rainbows. Yeah. Um, so you have anything, Hunter? You guys uh, want to know what I've been watching mostly this weekend? What you been the doing? Weather Channel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> CNN? MSNBC? No, no, fuck that shit. I go classic The Weather Channel yeah. for all my no weather ads, needs. Nothing. No, I mean, yeah, because of course we all... All three of us got out of, we got the fuck out of Orlando because we thought that like a category five was going to hit us straight on. And I mean, I'm glad that we got out of town, but I ended up uh, staying at my sister's house and we just watched so much of the Weather Channel. I'm sure you guys might have seen the same dude, this dude in Naples who Jim like, looked, like, yeah, he looked like he was about to get fucking that blown away by the dick. wind. That's his whole thing is he just goes where it's at and he's like, look at me. He tells people oh, to I'm stay swaying. away. Yeah, the- he's like, don't do this. Don't do <laughs> yeah. this. I'm don't a- do exactly I- what yeah. I'm doing I'm, right now. I'm qualified to stand outside. You're not. No, the yeah. worst part about that was they were like, he was sitting there in Naples and like shit's getting rocked all around them and like people are like radioing into him and they're just like, all right, the eye of the storm is about to come towards you you're gonna get a break here so he was standing out in like this pouring rain and wind for like an hour 50 just mile waiting per there. hour wind. yeah just 
No, it was like over. I think it was seventy five. Like holding onto a post or something. No, dude, well, he wasn't. He was trying to just sit there with like his wide stance and try not to get blown yeah, away. Like, but notice how I'm keeping a low base, guys. <laughs> if you gotta go outside, that's what you're gonna do. No, but they were like sitting there and they're like, "Yeah, the eye, it's coming right towards you. You're about to get a big break." And he's like sitting there waiting for it. You can tell he's so excited waiting for this <laughs> wall. Like, and then on, they're like, on. they're like, "Hey, we have some bad news. It looks like it's moving a little bit west, and you're not gonna get." Yeah, I remember. I saw that part where yeah, they're like, "Well, it looks like it's not going to hit Naples, Jim." I was like, "Oh, okay, okay. Guess I'll just go to the fucking ocean." There was another part where he's staying there, and he's just like, "Look, look at this sudden break in the wind!" And all of a sudden, it picks up again. He gets like blown back. That dude gets off on it. I don't like him. But uh, yeah, that was the main thing I've been watching. Um, And then, of course. We can get into our next thing that we, all three of us have watched, the new episode of Rick and Morty. So, so good. So I, good. Have, I have a lot of thoughts on this episode. Like One we, of the best episodes we, this season. We briefly go of over the series. every ep. This episode is special. It's definitely the best of the season. Maybe the best of the series. Top three of the series. Top three of the series easily. Easy. Yeah, for it's, sure. It was a lot of different things. I, I had to write down shit about it because I had so many feelings. Um, yeah, I I definitely had to watch it a second time and, and took some mental notes. I will definitely want to watch it a third time just to get everything straight yeah, in my head. It's an incredibly dense episode. It's th- That was my first impression. It was the densest episode of 22-minute TV I've ever seen. For it, sure. The amount of, of subplots and themes yeah, that they're able they're, to cram into a single yeah, half hour because is unbelievable typically rick and morty is pretty dense and it has an a story and a b story this ep had four big storylines that all had a beginning middle and end to them they weren't just throwaway storylines there was the morty election storyline which didn't even just have an ending it's set up for future episodes as well so that was a lot to juggle then you had uh the coming of age Mortys, you know, looking to escape their world. I guess we should start off by saying the premise of the episode is it goes unexpectedly. It goes to visit the Rick and Morty Citadel. Yeah, we, we get an alternate. Waiting, we've been waiting to see the Citadel again in an episode ever for since so it was long. destroyed. Yeah, yeah because it's Rick, been rebuilt. Yeah, our Rick C one thirty seven Rick destroyed the Citadel, so they're they've been in shambles, and it's just a story of what's going on there. And it it we don't want to give away too much, but it just gets very metaphorical for America in a lot of ways. I I think that's what this episode does the best. It, it dedicates pretty much the entire episode to these uh, political satire, oh, social yeah. commentary allegories. Well, yeah. you haven't even mentioned the whole like cop. Yeah, that's cop that was the line. third storyline. Was... It was it's a direct rip of Training Day. Yeah, in, in really. a hilarious way. <laughs> yeah, like while it's... also alluding to other cop storylines. Oh yeah, like uh, L.A. Confidential. Mm-hmm. You know, just the, yeah. the classic like naive partner with the grizzled uh oh yeah it's a it's a classic thing and then the grizzled one was a morty because the mortys are the underclass essentially of this world they represent minorities in a lot of ways or the generally oppressed yeah class and then the ricks are the the high the rich class but then some of the ricks are oppressed as well as we found for the from the fourth storyline which was the factory worker rick who goes berserk and ends up holding simple rick hostage which just I don't know. It just had so many social uh, implications. The entire episode. It it was while still being a classic Rick yeah, and Morty yeah, episode. Well, it, doesn't it wasn't deviate. too plot heavy or yeah. too and just it, like throwaway. It and was it wasn't balance. too metaphorical like South Park sometimes gets. 
uh, where it's just like they're beating you in the face with metaphor. Yeah, that this it's one, not even it's not even an episode of the show anymore. Yeah, this, it's just something. This was a perfectly balanced episode in every way, in my opinion. Every single line mattered. There was nothing unnecessary in it. It opened and closed four different stories. Yeah, that is crazy to do in twenty two minutes. And that's I, unbelievable. I think the 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 thought I keep coming back to is the only way a show can have so many subplots with so many different storylines and, and, and intricacies happening and be able to pull that off is if all your characters are the same character. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only way to do it. Yeah, it's true. Even That's though, why it succeeds. Yeah, even though these... it's I mean, yeah, we had to know the characters for them to do that much, and we did, but then they also obviously introduced plenty of different iterations of the characters. There were different types of Ricks. There were oppressed Ricks and then ruling class oppressor Ricks, and then there were Mortys who, like, realized that they were being oppressed and Morty's who were just a part of the system. It was, I don't know, it was just a crazy, crazy look into this world. Yeah, and it's just cool how it takes a step back from the Rick and Morty as characters because we had that the, the toxic Rick and Morty episode where mm-hmm. we get into the Ricks and Mortys that we know. Yeah. Um, but in this episode, they take Rick and Morty and apply it to commentary about uh, our world yeah and america in 2017 yeah there's there's tons of tonage of classism of racism of every kind of discrimination just I'll, I'll, it's like an allegory and also a solid ep on its own even if you were stupid and you didn't get any of the parallels it would still be a good episode yeah that is that's just crazy to me it gave me like goosebumps in the way that only like a few episodes of breaking bad and a couple episodes of like leftovers have done where it's like, Oh, I'm watching something really, really important and like perfectly constructed. Yeah, right and now. I'm going to want to watch it over and over again to get uh, to unpack everything that like there is every little here. thing because yeah. it, like Rick and Morty is always one of those shows that the more that every time that you watch it, you notice a different joke or you notice a different thing that yeah. you didn't notice your first or second. Yeah. Viewing. The thing that also got me a shitload the moment was Obviously, we were, I don't want to spoil the very end, but the music. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. as soon as that musical key it's comes a, it, in, you're yeah. like, oh, it's shit. It's a musical you know, callback, yeah. and it, it just it gets you. It, well, you kind of think like, wait a second. Yeah. I, I recognize that, and then you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, no then, way. Yeah, and then, and it, then they confirm and it. And then the reveal. Yeah. Yeah, and it gets real. Because it, it kind of it's something that we've been waiting for ever since season two, and then it gets paid off, and you're like, holy crap, this whole episode just got elevated to a whole nother level just by bringing back season you know, one actually season one season one yeah. was the first council of Ricks yeah episode. which there have been a lot of do we want to spoil can we should we be like hey pause. all right spoiler, spoiler alert for the newer skip newest ahead episode. like three minutes okay on Rick and Morty. Thing. okay so essentially the political plot line is the story of a morty running for president when only ricks are the ruling class and he's he's really confident and like he seems really nice the whole episode and he ends up winning and then at the end, you find out that that Morty was actually Evil Morty from season Eye one. Patch Morty. Eye Patch Evil Morty, um, who is like some kind of a cyborg, also. Yeah. Um, but so that's that is what kind of what I was talking about. A large part of the political uh, parallels to real life. Uh, a lot of Trump shit with that, as in someone acting like they're a member of the outsider class as Trump did being like, Hey, I'm just, I'm an outsider. Like you guys swindling the public. Yeah. We're all, we're all poor here. And then like being absolutely the opposite of that. Yeah. It, and then, cause there was the one line where they basically confirmed the whole parallel where he was like, Hey, it was almost enough to trigger a recount. It wasn't a yeah. blowout. But I think if you think back to the scene where it's the, um, 
the debate where they have all of the candidates on the stage, I think from that scene you can tell that it's not that simple of a comparison uh, uh, of a reference because yeah, it's not exact. It's not exact because the Ricks are actually more like Trump. They're farting on stage and they're <laughs> juggling and they're doing all this shit that has nothing to do with actual issues. And they're distracting the public from what actually matters. Morty is the one that's actually talking about what matters. Yeah, he's which, the voice of reason, which who's trying which to speak makes to him look like Hillary. So if 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 you think of the Morty candidate at the, as this weird Trump Hillary hybrid that kind of represents everything that is wrong with politics in America today, I think Harmon and company are trying to say that. All politics and yeah, all it's bullshit. politicians are all it's fucking all bullshit. bullshit. It's all facade. They get to the top exactly. And they and just like the simple salts. ricks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like the crackers, which is the whole theme of the episode. It's it's trying to tell us that the way our society works, it's all a trap to accept how fucked up everything is. Like everything around us is is ridiculously oppressive, and it's the episode's trying to paint this picture of literally throwing our dreams into the garbage and wishing for a better world. And then when that better world does come, we've been tricked into thinking that we've made a difference when in reality we haven't. Or into even thinking that you've made a better world when in reality it's not any better At all. before it's worse. Yeah. In fact, like we think that we try to make a difference and we, and we think we have the power to change things. But in reality, you know, the people who actually control this world are evil and conniving and ridiculously mm-hmm. yeah. impressive. I, I enjoyed the fact that the parallel didn't line up exactly because that would have been hacky in my opinion. And that's one of my least favorite things about South Park is when it gets too, it gets too on the nose. It's, yeah, it gets yeah. a little too real life, which just becomes essentially hack. Even though, I mean, I still love South Park. It's just that's what puts the writing of this episode on a whole different plane yeah. that it's not a hundred percent just like let's rip from the headlines it's let's do our own story and it'll also mean this but it'll be on its own its own thing yeah and, and we talked about that on the pod before how um matt and trey of south park they realized what a mistake they made last year putting the show so close to our reality and, and sticking to current events so much. Oh, yeah. Um, and if we want, we can get a little bit into the newest episode of South Park. Don't yeah. get into spoilers because I won't. actually have not watched Well, the I mean, it's not even... It's, there's no overarching implications. Which is so good. We, we that, makes me, that makes me so happy that's, that I mean, getting Yeah, that, that was what I was happiest about is that they I think they learned their lesson. Yeah, exactly. I was just... I was waiting at the end of the episode for it to cut to some, like, big board meeting or something. You know, and you're like, oh, great, a big plot line. Yeah. But no, it was just an episode of South Park. That's what I want. They need to be able to run any episode in any order on Comedy Central. They don't need to be like so they're not going to air a whole season in one day or whatever. No way. And I I just wanted to mention briefly how the newest episode of South Park does a very similar thing to Rick and Morty in you know doing all this social commentary and all this uh you know satire in a way that's very specific to each show. And I think they both do it very well. They're both yeah. speaking on very similar themes oh yeah but south park does it in a south park way and rick and morty yeah. does it in a rick it was and morty it way. was a great south park and it touches it touches on you know white supremacy and the whole confederate movement that's going on yeah how could they not at this point they i mean they've planted their feet in the political arena yeah. so they're going to talk about so it so as as the uh south park season gets going we'll get more into it and and we'll talk more about that but I think Rick and Morty is about to wrap up. This is episode seven. That was seven mm-hmm. out of ten. So we get we get three more. Yeah. Um, and we'll see 
how they stack up. I think this is definitely the best one of the season. Yeah, Again, top I probably top three agree. of the series. Over the course talking about it, I think I've convinced myself that it's my favorite of the whole series. It's the only yeah. one that gives me like the the feeling of like I'm watching something like perfect. Like I'm watching something that I can't name a flaw in this episode. Yeah, I I could think of at least one or two episodes that I would rank at, up there at least among this one. Uh, probably, what was the one with Crumbopulous Michael? And uh, that was a really good one. The Jerry Burry. Yeah. Oh yeah, the that's in my episode top two. It's a uh, um, Midnight Morty. Midnight Morty run. Yeah, Midnight that is Morty the run, best uh, B story of any episode. Yeah, yeah. I think Burry's that one might still be my number. One. I still I love Total Recall. Yeah, and yeah. the the original Ricksy minutes is still mm-hmm. like you can watch that over and over. And that's and just Mr. Like Meeseeks, the best comedy of like any yeah, that, Rick and Morty yeah. episode. And it also <laughs> the the B story of it had the the you know the seminal like lines that gave the thesis of the whole show of nobody exists on purpose blah 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 like want to watch TV. Oh yeah. That became the battle cry of a generation. Oh we. Oh we. Oh and hey guys, you know what we can talk about next week? Nathan for you coming back. Oh my god. Oh fuck. Oh my god. The special I'm next gonna lose Tuesday. My shit. Oh my god. All right, is there anything else you guys want to talk about that we've been watching before we move into our Um review? I've been watching a lot of uh Unwrapped. Yo, really? Yeah, Unwrapped it's like all <laughs> on YouTube. So uh Guy and I have been watching uh there's there's a playlist on YouTube that's 200 videos long of just unwrapped um, clips. Okay, have you guys noticed yet Mark Summers' weird vocal thing he does with, <laughs> yeah, with the we pausing? About this last it's thing. so weird. He's always pausing in weird points in the sentence to add emphasis to things that don't need emphasis. You should uh, explain what this is for yeah, people who don't know. What Unwrapped is? Yeah. Who the you fuck mean doesn't he, know what unwrapped is? I think is? Ernest doesn't know what unwrapped is. <laughs> Come on. Hey, we should explain it like to a, like the audience, you know? It's like a food show. It's a yeah, it's a food network. Yeah, like it's I a classic rerun show where there's always old eps on. But they go through like candies and like they, chips. It's how and it's made like for that. food. They go into right. the, they go into the factory where they make like M&Ms or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But um, the worst thing is whenever they go to a place and they're like, everything is top secret. Like we were watching, oh I think, God, I think yeah. it was the Junior Mints <laughs> one and they don't show you anything about how Junior oh, Mints God. are made. They just, yeah, they just show people like standing there. Like there's like five dudes like with their arms up, like blocking a machine off and they're like, it's top secret in here. And then you just see them getting packaged and you're like, well, that was fucking stupid. Yeah. Why'd they even come? Did you guys know that Unwrapped is back and it's hosted by Carlton Banks? Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, good. Just make Unwrapped sure. 2.0. And that works because he is about, because the original show was corny and Carlton Banks is the corniest human <laughs> that's ever existed. So he's, it's a match made in Alfonso. heaven. Alfonso. He delivers the worst lines I've ever heard on that show with a hundred percent. Like I'm, I'm, I'm selling this right now. It's like the it's so bad. All right, it's like they hired one comedy writer who once wrote a spec for like Mash (laughs) in the seventies, and then just gave up on comedy. Let's take a quick break before we get into our review of Stephen King's. Billy, 
Am I not real enough for you, Billy? You'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float too. And we're back. Hey. Till we bought a mic. Oh. Okay. Let's talk the new film Let's from Andre. What's his Muschietti. name? Andre Muschietti. Muschietti. Yeah. Let's talk about it. He's Argentinian. It. Guys, know. let's talk about it. It. I T. Did you say Andy Machetti? Andre. No, Andre. it's Andy. Andy Machetti. Oh, okay. All right, so That's this cool is it, um, based on the Stephen King novel of the same name, written in 1980. What is it? I don't know. Written um, in the 80s. Set yeah. in the novel was set in the 60s. 50s. 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 Even. 50s, and then modern days in the the 80s. Yeah, so uh, they updated it to make it set in the 80s. Yeah, it was, the it was written in it, it was written in 1986 and the film is set in 1989. Which is I mean it's essentially doing the same thing that like that 70s show did. It's that, like Happy Days was in the 70s set in the 50s. Um, that 70s show was like late 90s early 2000s set in the 70s. Right. There's a there's a period of time where nostalgia is peaking. Right now 80s nostalgia is peaking. Soon it'll be a bunch of 90s movies. I think it was a it was a good change to make it more modern day. To make it not like it too works. corny, like just seeing like 50s stuff. I will say I have never read the Stephen King novel and I have yet to see the 1990 miniseries. Yeah. I can't believe you've never seen the miniseries. Oh, yeah. I grew up with that miniseries. We watched it at Plaza at our old apartment, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Uh, it's, yeah. it's. I mean, it was fun to watch, but it was way fucking cornier than this movie oh, was. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Made for it, TV. It's, yeah, they, they, it was very limited in terms of what they could say uh, because in the movie, they are liberal with ed- all the words. That The miniseries gets a ton of shit because people say that, like, the writing doesn't hold up at all. But I still, like, appreciate it for, for what it is. Tim Curry is amazing. Tim Curry is probably, like, the most iconic scary movie clown that there is. Tim Curry's great. Uh, I think most other aspects of that movie are not great, though. Dude, Seth Green? <laughs> he was I so... Think... See, no, I think literally Finn Wolfhard did a way better job than Seth Green did with that character. Um, Finn Wolfhard of uh, Stranger Things fame. Yeah, that was one of the first things I wanted to mention. He is the biggest name on the fucking bill of this movie. Yeah. Finn Wolfhard. This movie is a bunch of nobodies, and that makes it even more impressive that it's a good movie. And Bill Skarsgård is a he's on the come up, medium. but like people, if you saw a poster, you'd be like, "Oh, kid from Stranger Things." Oh, mm-hmm. no one else. Yeah, and it's a massive success. You know, the biggest September opening of all time. I'm just gonna check what the box office is. I at think right it's now. like almost a 200, if not it's, just at 200. Yeah, it's, it'll definitely pass 200 it's, this oh, yeah, weekend. Absolutely. Uh, it's great. I mean, it's at 151 million yeah. right now. It's like I was saying earlier. It, it seemed like our theater pretty much unanimously agreed that that was a fun, good movie. Like I, I didn't see anyone leaving out out of the movie with like a bad vibe. Yeah, and um, anyone right now that is saying this movie sucks is in the minority you know mm-hmm. everyone is saying they like it everyone is saying yeah. it's one of the best horror movies they've do you seen guys do you guys love it though i don't know i mean you've seen it a second time so you may have a better judgment yeah, okay. on that I, I need to see it a second time to know if i, I will it. say i like it more after seeing it a second time i'm not sure i love it as an adaptation I think they did an incredible job adapting the book. We'll get into, whenever we talk about spoilers, we're talking about some things that they changed from the book that I did not care for um, from it's, the book and the miniseries. It's tough, it's tough for me to but, love horror movies. Oh, I disagree on that. I love a lot of horror movies. I'll say I really, really liked it. 
There's a couple of things that, again, we'll get into in spoilers, but I really, really liked it a lot. It is. I think they did a great job. Bill yeah. Skarsgård is amazing. Like, he is horrifying. We, we would all agree, though, that it is a flawed movie. None of us were, like, perfect. It, it had flaws. It just overall, like, if we're recommending it, I would recommend you go see it in a theater I just think and have a good time. It's better than it had any right being. Like, it's so, it just works so well on all these levels. I mean, obviously, it's not a, it's not a perfect movie, but... I don't think anyone expected, you know, the second adaptation of it to be as good as it was, especially because it was under so much, uh, so many problems trying to get made. Like this movie was kind of in development hell for years and for years, years yeah. since like 2009. Yeah. Carrie, Carrie Fukunaga was originally going to direct it. Yeah. He and has, then he left, he left because of creative differences. Yeah. But I, he still has co-writing credit of it mm-hmm. on the script. But, uh, It'd be interesting to see what a Fukunaga. I feel like it wouldn't it have would been be. as bombastic and as like. It wouldn't have been as like traditional scary. Like, yeah. Like it had the. If you look at the writing staff of it, it's like it's Kerry Fukunaga and then like an a absolute nobody who's only done like shorts and stuff, and then like uh, the guy who wrote Annabelle. So the movie has a balance of like really cool like looking stuff like Fukunaga type stuff and then like Annabelle style just like horror you know, modern horror. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what, what's the defining thing that makes this film work so well, because, you know, it doesn't really have a big name director. It doesn't have any outstanding talent in either the producing or writing departments. The cast isn't really that notable. Like, what is it about this Honestly, movie that makes it work as well as okay, it does? Okay, I think that because there's a reason why I was so excited for this movie, and that's just because the source material is so good. That's, yeah, I'm that's currently, what I was going to say. I'm currently reading it right now, and they did a decent job in the movie um, of capturing the characters, but what makes the book and the story so good is that each of the characters has such a compelling storyline, and you care for each individual character. We'll talk about how... The movie doesn't always perfectly nail that balance, but it's just that it's such a great story, and it's not just a horror story. That's, it's a coming-of-age story about kids. That's what I was going to say, is so much modern horror is just like front-to-back dour and like unpleasant. And cheap scares. And this movie, it wasn't dour. It had plenty of light in it. There was a lot of humor and in emotion. it. emotion. Yeah, there was a lot of humor. A, a lot, lot of, of humor. A lot really of, good humor. A lot of coming-of-age childhood stuff that you would find in like Goonies. It's just, it had a good balance of light and dark instead of just darkness all the way through. That added a it added a great dimension to it where like everyone in the theater is laughing and then getting scared instead of just like feeling bad the whole movie like you would with like an Annabelle type movie. That's one of the things that that I like so much about seeing this movie in a packed theater is you could feel the tension before a scare of everyone just like tensing up and then the scare happens, everyone screams and then there's this release of all the tension. Yeah. Everyone just laughs and you yeah. get this really great exchange of yeah, energy. Yeah, it was, it was a great audience movie. I'll say, because uh, it got a, an ovation whenever we saw it and after seeing it a second time last night, it got an ovation again in the theater. Was, um, was it as packed the second time? It wasn't as packed. It was still, a. Pr- it was probably about half full, maybe yeah. a little over half full. But um, yeah, it just—it's a great, great yeah. theater movie. Another to see with other people. Another element that had to be good for it to be good was the child acting, and it was great. Yeah, the kids did a really good job. Typic- All of them. Typically, that is also a reflection of good directing because if a kid is acting good, then they're put in a good environment and they're yeah. not uncomfortable. Um, and per- kids usually have to just act themselves because they haven't lived 
enough to really put themselves in another person. Yeah. So they kind of just have to be themselves. Um, and particularly Finn Wolfhard did a really good yeah. job with a character who could be unbearable. I was expecting him to play a similar character to the kid he was in Stranger well, Things. That, that would make him the main character. Yeah. The main kid. Well, I didn't know. I didn't. I've never yeah, read yeah, yeah. it or anything. Um, so but I no, I was expecting a similar thing. And he ended up playing the comic relief like asshole boy that Seth, little baby Seth Green played in the yeah. 1990 miniseries. Yeah. The lines that he has to deliver are so raunchy. Like he says some really that's crazy. That's shit. what makes it great is it's very authentic. It's how thirteen year old yeah, boys exactly. talk to each other. Yeah, like all yeah. When you're thirteen, you talk about fucking your friends' moms. Yeah, like, that's just all they do in the movie. Particularly Finn Wolfhard's back and forth with Jack Grazer, who played Eddie. Eddie yeah, the the hypochondriac little kid. It was Jack Grazer was also amazing. Yeah, perfect, it, it, perfect. He was so so good. He's he's absolutely out of nowhere. He's been in like you know small stuff before, but he absolutely killed it. He brought. I've I saw in an interview they talked about how he the actor actually added a lot to that character because I mean in the miniseries in the book he's a bit more of a little bitch boy. He's not quite so. Uh, he he's like outspoken in the movie. Like right. he's not afraid to just like argue everything with like. Finn Wolfhard's character. All of the back and forth between the yeah. the main kids was all great. How about Jaden Liberer? Li- Liberer? Yeah, I thought Liber? he was Ben. Yeah, I thought he was all right. Yeah, no, Bill. Oh, Bill, the Bill. main guy. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, no, huge bounce back coming from Book of Henry to this. <laughs> like, oh, right. yeah, he was oh, just man. in Book of Henry a couple months ago, and then he came back and did this, and he was awesome. He was a great stuttering Bill. <laughs> also, uh, Jeremy Jeremy Ray Taylor, little fat boy. A beautiful, ben. beautiful Ben. Our beautiful boy. He was amazing. Sophia Lillis, who played Beverly. I thought Beverly was, I, I loved, really loved, almost more so, like a lot more so in the miniseries. Some things that they added to her character. There were some things towards the end that I wasn't a huge fan of with her character, which we'll talk more about. But yeah, overall, I thought it was amazing. The biggest disappointment for me like in the entire movie was just how misused Mike Hanlon's character was. Yeah. The- Which chosen Jacobs is his name. He was really, really good actor, but he just didn't have enough yeah, in the book. He's a lot more important. Yeah. yeah. Well, also yeah, yeah. this is one of the sacrifices that was probably made when they changed the decade from the fifties to the eighties, because the reason that that character is an outsider and a lot of his screen time in the miniseries is devoted to the racial issues that he yeah. has to encounter because that's why he like the bullies are going after him in it. They want him out of town because he's black. Um, so that element is like barely, barely alluded to in the new movie. They, there's a line where they're just like, get out of our town or whatever. But, and so That's there's it. yeah so yeah. it's like dripping with the implication but they never even say it and there's, there's so it's just thing. they brought they took away one of the biggest parts of the character and then another thing that they did which this isn't really a spoiler or anything but um they gave mike's knowledge because in the books and in the May series mike hamlin is the one who he stays in dairy and he's the like he becomes a historian for dairy and like learns all of these like recurring things that are happening in the strange town and they took that storyline and they gave it to Ben's character. And they, I mean, that happens in the miniseries when they're adults, right? That's when he finds out about the pattern. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they made it so uh, they find out about this whole thing when they're kids in the movie. I think that it's alluded to in the books that like they kind of do some history and stuff. But uh, in the in the books, Mike is the only character. Every all the other characters move away from the town of Derry, and Mike stays there, and he's the one who calls everybody up and says like it is happening again. Right. Well, I I think you know me not having read the book, I, I think a lot of these things work pretty well in in the movie like you don't really find it as jarring mm. because i haven't read the book yeah it's that's yeah that's it, like, it works it's more the more like one of the main reasons it bothers me is because mike is like one of the most interesting and compelling characters in the story yeah in, in the movie it, he's just kind of there he's he just follows along with yeah. everybody yeah, they, and it's sad that they took they I mean, took, we have, to, took we have, we have to go there. Things. Yeah, we have to go there where they took a black character's main traits away from him and just gave it to a fat white kid. Yeah. All right. Well, always shit. fat. Before we get into into spoilers, is there any more overall thoughts you guys want to say? On go it? see this movie. Great, great. Maybe not great, but it's a really, really great adaptation yeah. of something if you're a fan of horror if you're a fan of like coming of age films i think you'll love it also another thing is it did a great job there are like a couple of jump scares but they're not true modern horror jump scares the scares are there because of the tension that the scenes create Mm -hmm. uh yeah i mean i'm just to echo like great movie see it in theaters it's a theater movie definitely uh like dunkirk essentially where it's gonna be better in theaters pretty much guaranteed um Worth watching. Me and me and Colin both agreed. Solid eight out of ten. Yeah, I, I think this is a film that really benefits from seeing it on a big screen just because of the imagery. It's so memorable. Like I was still shaking some of the scenes, mm. you know, hours and days after seeing it. It it sticks in your head. There's some scenes of terror that some are great imagery. It just Ugh. gets under your skin, yeah. man. It, it, it's so Definitely. good. I, as a as a horror movie, it works well. Just you know, scaring you, giving you. Uh, you know suspense and terror but it works above that it, it gives you comedy and emotion and you yeah. connect with these characters on on a deep level so it's more than just your average horror movie well, it's, yeah it's that's a great wh- film that's why it's better because it's not just horror it's yeah. not one dimension there are many dimensions to the movie yeah and um, you know pennywise it as, as as a character as a force of nature is yeah. absolutely unbelievable um also if you want the more obsessive coverage of all the discrepancies between the book and the uh, and the movie, I'm gonna go ahead and plug our sister podcast, Snyder Colin yeah. podcast. Colin is a Colin has read through the book it like I think like four or five yeah, times he's, he's read it. It's his favorite book yeah. ever, and he goes through a huge list of the differences between yeah. the book and the movie. He, yeah. he came to my house like the day after he saw, it and he was like, the first thing he said was like, "Yeah, right after I left, I wrote down a list of like forty inconsistencies," yeah. and I was like, "Yeah, that sounds that sounds." Some right. of them are made for the better. Some of them I think are worse, but uh. Let's just go. It ahead just and happens it. when you adapt something. Oh, yeah. one last thing uh, before we go into spoilers. Another uh, shout out to a great actor, uh, Nicholas Hamilton, also in Captain Fantastic, who played Henry Bowers. I thought that he was awesome. In oh this yeah, movie. great, yeah, great. The, the bully guy, sadistic bully. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that kid was fucked up. All right, if you have not seen it, uh, go ahead and watch it, and come back and listen to this episode when you have. All right, spoilers. Spoilers. What's in the box? <laughs> So right. I was dead this whole time. Yeah. So That's Bruce Willis. They all fuck each other. And yeah. The orgy scene. Let's talk about that. <laughs> that didn't happen. That yeah. didn't make it in the movie. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if audiences okay. wanted to see a bunch of children uh, banging. Okay. Hey, speak I just, for I, yourself. 
Okay, I have a couple of things uh, here that uh, I noticed from seeing the movie from just my knowledge of it. Uh, for one, uh, my least, I think the worst child actor was the kid who played Stan, Wyatt Olaf. Who's Stan? Stanley is the, the Jewish Jew, guy. The Jew guy. Yeah, that, um, he didn't really. Uh, he didn't stand do out. anything, and I think there was there was a couple of uh, cool like signs in the movie that I guess this is kind of going to be a spoiler for you, Ernest, but. He never makes it back to Derry. He no, he kills I, I know, himself. I know that. Yeah. yeah, but like you can understand because he's the one like this painting thing is like sucking his fucking face yeah, off, and, yeah. and he's the first person to leave the blood oath. Yeah, so that's a good um, little illusion uh, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that scene where he's literally being eaten, like his face is being eaten, yeah, and then they they get it off of him, and he's like, "You guys aren't my friends. You left me," and then he tells Bill at the end, "Like I hate you," and he says it like totally straight i mean he says i'm kidding after but when he delivers that line he's like I it's hate pretty you. straight yeah. you know like he's gonna be scarred for life and when he hears about it coming back of course you know mm-hmm. he slits his wrists which is so fucked up but yeah I, I i really think that that final sequence in the sewers is incredible especially that scene when stan gets attacked like yeah that was Ooh. one of the biggest uh, scares yeah for that me. was fucked okay speaking of that scene another thing that they changed from the book that i really i don't quite understand why they did it except for just to be a hollywood trope is the only reason why in the in the books Beverly is never kidnapped by Pennywise. Beverly goes in there with the kids to go fight it. But I guess they had to make it like a fucking Princess Peach yeah, style. Yeah, save, save the they girl. They literally even have a Sleeping Beauty style kiss thing where they that, kiss her. I to thought like that was pretty. Up. I was like, is that canon? No, like, it's not. Yeah, no, it's it, not canon. Because that all. was just like, come on. It's it was just a total like Hollywood yeah. trope that I wish that they True didn't have. That. I kiss. did love love the scene where uh, she like hits her uh hits her abusive father which i will say those were the most terrifying scenes for me yeah. in the entire oh. movie beverly's father is scarier Horrifying. than yeah. Pennywise. yeah he yeah. basically wants to fuck her and it is the most no, uncomfortable can, shit and it's very very well acted because they don't actually have to show any kind of abuse with you out with you knowing like yeah she's yeah. like you're it's my, all in you know you're is, my girl right? yeah it's all yeah. in the line de- delivery and in the facial and the acting. the soundtracking did it did some uh justice to it also it reminded me of bates motel where yeah. like whenever it's some incest shit goes down there's like a high violin just going yeah, <laughs> you're like oh they're okay. Fuck. So in this movie, there's a lot of scenes that get really really loud because you have like screaming and like music and sound effects. There, there's a lot going on. Which you know, in in a theater with a big sound system, it it, it gets to you. you we know? did watch it in Dolby Digital. Dolby, Dolby, and yeah. It added a lot to it. Yeah. You know, it's the only reason why we like the movie. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast is sponsored by Dolby. Dolby Cinema. Dolby. I hope you're listening to this podcast in surround sound right now. (laughs) Yeah. Dolby Digital. Hear our voices moving around you. (laughs) No, okay. But uh, this this gets into another one of my biggest complaints with the movie, which it's a little bit too bombastic. It's a little bit too much like every two minutes there's a part that gets scary. Except like especially in the middle of the movie. Mm. In the very beginning of the movie, there's like a couple like little things with Pennywise and stuff like that, but it's mostly setting up the characters. And then in the middle they were like because in the book 
it, it's really well written in the book how there's just scenes with characters, everything's fine, all of a sudden Pennywise shows up and it fucks with everything. Well, that's... But in the movie, it's not portrayed as well, and it just comes across as it's constantly trying to scare you. That, what you're describing, it, I was thinking that a lot during the movie, and mainly one of the things I was wondering is I bet the Fukunaga ad- adaptation would have been a lot more character-driven because he yeah. doesn't seem like a traditional horror guy, but I'm sure the powers that be were like, no, we need this to be a horror blockbuster at heart. We need scares. It gets butts in seats. And uh, let's just go ahead and talk about some of the visuals. I thought the visuals, for the most part, were honestly stunning. But um, yeah. I will say, I thought that the leper looked straight up bad. I thought it was a zombie at first. It was, yeah, yeah no, that's it, the thing. It was a zombie. Okay, because in the book, <laughs> there's a setup for that scene where uh, Eddie, because Eddie, of course, he's like under the impression that he's always sick and his mom. I can't wait to see how they uh, show this in the future in the next movie because eddie continues to live with his mom and they had this really really weird relationship where yeah, his like mom is like way way over controlling of him and that's a little bit portrayed as he's a kid but it's more so like he's been growing up with this for another 27 years after this um but in the book there's a scene where eddie's walking home from his friends and a true like leper homeless person like asks him for uh he asks him for like money or something like that and it like totally fucks with Eddie but there's there's establishment for it and in the movie there's no establishment yeah. it's just he's walking home he walks past the the well house monster house monster he walks past Dan Harmon's monster yeah. house <laughs> the re- I mean and, and then it's just the leper chasing after him and then yeah. it becomes yeah. Pennywise the reason that that didn't work for me is because it looked like you didn't you weren't seeing that and you were like ah a leper you were yeah. like ah a zombie a yeah, zombie person because like zombie. zombies have bad skin yeah <laughs> just like lepers do yeah. another thing uh, another bad uh, visual thing i thought was uh because again didn't have any kind of setup for it in the books uh ben is scared of mummies and there's the scene towards the beginning of the movie before he actually gets together with the boys the losers club the boys. where he goes uh he goes wandering down in the bottom of the library and this beast thing chases after him and you can't really tell what it is but it's supposed to be a mummy mm. I actually thought that worked really well. That was one of the most frightening. I thought it was a good scene, but I wish I would have known you just what context. it was. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. You just see it's a scary thing running towards me. Where in the books, it's more about their deepest fears are right. what Pennywise becomes yeah. when chasing after them. That's what my grandma said. She said she read the book and then saw the miniseries, and she was like, well, it didn't scare me because Pennywise isn't my deepest fear. Like, when, if you just read the book, you're imagining your deepest fear, kind of. Right. Yeah. Um, Which is just compliment to good writing from Stephen King. And that's what re that's the best thing about reading is you just form the images in your head. You yeah. don't have to watch a movie, mm-hmm. but I think this movie does a really good job of, of bringing this imagery to life. I mean, it may not be specifically what everyone imagined reading the book, but it does it in a way well, that it's faithful. Yeah. It, it just, the movie does a good job of showing you that he can change into what scares you. Yeah. Yeah. It, but uh, another thing is, I, I don't want to, I feel like I'm coming across as bashing this movie just because it's always like nitpicks God, that stick fucking, in your mind more than things that you like. Red letter media over here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, I think that Pennywise's his powers are very poorly defined in this movie. 
Like, you can't really tell if he can, like, Maybe they're saving time. it for the second one. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that they're going to get more into that, just because it kind of seems like he's, like, omnipresent and can always... But at the same time, there's always... There's other parts where it's like, oh, he took that guy down. That means that we're safe from Pennywise for yeah. now. But it doesn't... It's really poorly defined. I'll say... One uh, imagery thing that I thought was beautiful was whenever they're down in the sewers and they look up and they see all the bodies floating. Yeah. I yeah. thought that was a great That was a good reveal. Show. Yeah. Um, You'll float too. Who who do you guys want to be in the movie? Our dream cast? Who do you want to play the adult versions of these kids? So uh, on Twitter, I saw this really great post. I, I thought I tagged you guys in it, but I don't know if you saw it. No, you didn't. So someone uh, put together a dream cast for chapter two of It. Uh, and Tom Cruise is stuttering Bill. <laughs> oh, fuck me. No. No, for Bill, they had Toby McGuire. Whoa! I would love that so much. <laughs> he that does have the so look. Happy. He does kind of look like uh, Jaden. Yeah, he, he genuinely does. It makes sense. Who would... Uh, you know who kind of reminds me of... Uh, what's her name? Lilith? Lilith? Uh, Sophia Lilith. Yeah. You know who kind of reminds Definitely. me of an adult version of her? Kristen Wiig. They both have kind of like a doe face. Not do d o u g h do like do, a deer. I don't know if Kristen Wiig can do horror though. I mean, she. I'm sure she'd be down to. She likes showing her range. She likes doing drama. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, that would just work in terms of look. Let me look, for let Beverly. Me look these for Beverly, they had Amy Adams. I mean, yeah, she's a redhead. I could also yeah. see Jessica Chastain. How old are they in the? No, they're they're they like 40? early. They're really like late thirties, early forties. Yeah. Okay, so they're about forty. So okay, that's the for Eddie, for uh, this guy put Elijah Wood. Yeah, they, I mean he has big eyes, brown, straight brown hair. <laughs> for Mike Cuba Dugan Jr. <laughs> Cuba, Cuba's comeback. <laughs> I, this person is going just on how they look. Yeah, and you can tell. Yeah, yeah. For um, Cuba Gooding's like fifty-five. For Stan, they put um, Jesse Eisenberg. I like that. Uh, in in the Snyder Collin podcast, they talk about who they want to play Stan. They say Gail from Breaking yeah, Bad. Yeah, that's actually you, pretty good. Can you see Gail just like killing himself, yeah. <laughs> just being in the beginning of the movie? Gail Bedecker. Fucking. Oh my god, Bedecker's like sixty. They put uh, T.J. Miller as Richie. Uh, oh no! Oh no! I don't want that oh, at all. Okay. No, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Okay, no. What about uh, Chris Pratt as Ben? <laughs> what, what? What? Is this the same post? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this doesn't. This the most. Yeah, this derailed. Yeah, this it started out so strong. <laughs> Hold on, let me look at these kids. Are we just gonna see? I hope that uh, we get like. <laughs> Okay, another thing from the the movie that I, that is different from the books um, is in the books, she, uh, Beverly like all of the kids in the Losers Club are all in love with Beverly, and in the movie they just establish it as like a love triangle between Ben, Bill, and Beverly. Yeah, the there's only bees. the scene where they're all looking at her in her underwear yeah. to show you that they're all you know thirteen. But yeah, I guess they don't get into the romantic. Yeah, because they don't all fuck the romantic. Yeah, in the, or whatever. in the book, she takes all of their virginity, right? Like, it's, yeah, well, that's the the whole point because it's a really like weird part of the book. You can tell that Stephen King wrote it when he was like fucked up at like six in the morning. He's yeah, like, I got fucking on, finish like, this. Sixteen thing. different types of drugs. Yeah, no, but um. In the book, it's meant to portray, like, the taking of innocence because Pennywise is taking their innocence and now Beverly is, like, literally, like, taking their innocence in a sexual way. Right. Thanks, Stephen King. Hell yeah. <sighs> How about as... Wait, so when Ben grows up, he's actually not fat anymore, is he? He's a successful he's a, architect. He's yeah. bigger. Like, he's... I mean... Didn't... 
who didn't John Ritter play him in the miniseries? Uh look it up. I, I think, don't remember. I think that might be also, great. anyone just like chilling at home, get on Jeremy Ray Taylor's IMDb and look oh at the little God. look at little fat boy's headshots. The They're literally so funny. the They're best beautiful. headshots I've ever seen. He has in my like life. little he has feathered hair and he's holding a windbreaker over his shoulder. <laughs> uh. Okay, let's uh let's talk about another thing that they uh they changed from the the book that I don't really know how I feel about it because in the miniseries and stuff, it makes more sense. Um, Henry's quote unquote death scene that happens. So in the, in the miniseries and in the book, what happens is Henry goes down uh, and he look and Pennywise like catches him and he looks into Pennywise, the deadlights, which you only see like one shot of the deadlights, but they actually, they play a bigger part in the miniseries and in the book. Um, And these deadlights like drive Henry, like, basically completely insane and he comes out of the sewers and says he, he uh, confesses to the murder of all of the children that have gone missing and they lock him up in like an insane asylum and then he comes back and tries to uh tries to kill the kids yeah, or in, tries in to the kill them as they're adults yeah, yeah yeah but in the movie he kind of i mean it looks like he takes a pretty nasty fall down and you the never well, see him again and you never see him again so i guess he could not be dead i hope that he's not dead because he plays an important role whenever they're um, all adults and you, coming back you know who could play him in the sequel is michael shannon yeah that's actually in the twitter that's, list. oh really yeah <laughs> oh that's the yeah. hit one spot on <laughs> that's yeah that's a good casting um, so uh bill skarsgård i don't know if i would call his performance great I like most of the great moments with the clown weren't based on acting. Yeah, it's it's a lot of special effects. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I think makeup. he did fine, but I don't. I think I mean you can't. I don't think you can compare him to Tim Curry. I think. I mean, I think what makes him the best is his smile, and you can see. I never like while watching the movie the first time. I was like, wow, that's like. It's an unrecognizable performance, but now, like you see him in interviews, and he just does that yeah. smile. Yeah. It's horrifying. Well, Tim Tim Curry kind of looked just like a, a guy dressed up as a clown. Like yeah. he just kind of looked just, like a clown. Skarsgård had a lot of help from CG. Yeah. Essentially, he had a lot of help from looking scary when you can unhinge your fucking jaw and have. Yeah, but come I mean, out. for the yeah. that only happens a couple of times in the movie, and for the most part, it is all practical, which I appreciate a lot. I'm glad that it wasn't just a CGI monster mm. for the most part. I agree. Also, Colin called him a sexy uh a sexy what big, big guy man big guy big steve guy, buscemi man. oh yeah he does he looks like a hot young yeah. steve buscemi yeah so this is a hot young uh pennywise who fucks <laughs> he fucks all 2017 the kids it fucks kids <laughs> well i think all in all um, we really enjoyed this film it's it's just a great adaptation. It, oh, I will say, did you want to talk about the very end, the the final action? Okay, set yeah. Piece? So we can also try to make a little prediction for the sequel. So throughout the film, there's certain little allusions to what we might see in chapter two in terms of opening up the lore of this story. Mm-hmm. Because in the book, you get a sequence where Richie and Mike trip out on the smoke. And they travel back like millions of years to see it arrive on Earth. Mm-hmm. That's not in the film at all. <laughs> so in in the books, Mike grows up to be like a drug addict junkie who's always trying to like huff stuff and like take drugs mm-hmm. and try to transcend to get more information about it mm-hmm. and its origins. So I would really like to see that in the sequel to see the the psychedelic trans-dimensional metaphysical aspect of this story that'd be a really cool route to go 
Sorry, but you know who would play Jeremy Ray Taylor grown up is Jack Black. <laughs> oh my god, that'll be Jack Black's come black and come back. Come, come, black. Black. come, black. come black. But but yeah, like this the whole aspect of the story of, of them trying to, you know, find out more about it and his arrival on Earth, I think is really interesting. Yeah. Once you start to get into where it comes from as this like cosmic being. Yeah. And I want them also to kind of go back a little bit more. T- uh, to the source material and how they actually defeat it because in the book and in the miniseries how they defeat him is they have like a slingshot that they shoot rocks at him at and the only reason why it kills him is because they believe it's all about like they don't what you fear believe. him yeah you don't fear him and it's like they believe that this will kill him right. and that's all about like what your belief is mm-hmm. and in the movie it just it's like a lot of shaky cam and them just kind of beating him around i thought that it was cool how he transforms into each of their fears yeah. as he gets knocked around but it's not the, the directing best looking. yeah the directing of that scene is probably the lowest point in the film because it's it's shot in a dark setting and there's not a lot of contrast or color so you don't really know what's going on a lot of the time there's a lot of close-ups that cut around which yeah. is kind of sad because for the most part it's a beautiful beautiful yeah. looking film Throughout, lots of great colors yeah. and everything except for that scene maybe it may have been shot in haste you know? it, I think so. It, it's just a low point in, in an otherwise great film. It it kind of it kind of sucks because you know you 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 get this big action heavy finale in what's otherwise a very haunting, terrifying but I mean, that's, film. It's, that's a Stephen King story for you. It's incredible in the and in the, throughout the entire story, and then it gets to the climax, yeah. and it's a little bit disappointing. But then the very very end, they don't really defeat it. It kind of dissolves and goes away mm-hmm. to set up that it's definitely going to come back. Mm. So, you know, it, in the end, we just get this sort of non ending that completely sets up a second yeah. part. I mean, the film works as a cohesive story, yeah. but the very end it, it serves as a setup. Yeah, the, the climax wasn't great, but I thought the resolution was awesome. The, the blood, blood oath, oath, the yeah. blood oath and this amazing pan where it like circles around all of them. And, one of my favorite things in the book and the movie is uh, when uh, Richie breaks his arm and he has the the cast that somebody writes loser on. He just writes lover yeah. on it. I thought like just how that looked. It looks so uh, cool. Classic, a good image. classic yeah. puss move. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think closing thoughts, uh, I'll say that this is a, a movie that will probably go down as one of the best horror films of all time, one of the best Stephen King adaptations. I don't know ever about made. one of the best horror films. Definitely one of the best horror films of the decade. And what I'd say it's probably the best Stephen King adaptation as I far mean, as horror. We'll I mean, see. Of course, with, there's with like time. You know how it stands the test of time. Stephen if King has also up. made so many. Like he's helped write so many things. Like he was. Misery he, is a great movie. Shawshank yeah. was a short based off of a short Stephen King short, The Green Mile. Yeah. Like yeah. he's got a hand in everything. It's just it's gonna go down as a as a good movie. Like it's it was just fun to watch. I enjoyed watching it. What uh? What I, I did not feel. I don't know. Modern horror has this problem where just like they just want you to feel bitter. Like yeah. there's no happiness. They just want to surprise you with scares. Everyone's definitely feeling the it fever right now. So it'll be interesting to see how oh, yeah. it, how the movie holds up. I'm once really it dies I down. I'm happy because I was I really felt like I needed to see it a second time. To see, like, make sure everything held up and everything. And I'm glad to say, like, I actually like it a little bit more after seeing it a second time. Right. Which is a great sign for lasting power of a movie. If it if it's not something, like, you see it once, then you're like, oh, I know what's coming next. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, you can focus more on the performances and the right, details. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, close it up with some plugs. Uh, 
You can follow We Bought a Mic on Instagram and Facebook now. Facebook Ooh. page. Yeah, we already have over 50 likes. Just brand new Facebook page. So give us a like on there. Comment. Send us a message. Any feedback or suggestions you may have, we'll, we'll take them and, and read them on the air. Uh, you can follow me at Caldernist on Instagram and Twitter. And email the show at webottomike at gmail.com. Lots of ways to contact us, get in touch with us, Please. give us suggestions, tell us how much you love us or hate us. Talk to me. Mm. Uh, right, you guys want to plug anything? Uh, yeah, you can uh, follow me at Hunt Mobley on Twitter. You know, listen to We Bought Mike. Listen to our sister podcast, the Snyder Column Podcast. Again, they go much more in detail about the differences between the book and the movie. Um, and they have a really good review and analysis of everything. So uh, check them out. Check out our CrossBot if you haven't done that yet. Yeah, uh, you can find me at Drew Dietzen on basically every, you know, whatever social media you want. Diet Zen. If you can't find me at that username, then I'm not on it. You know what I mean? Um, uh, what's your MySpace handle? God, that I don't know. I don't think that it was before. It, I, my MySpace was before you could do like custom URLs. Uh, um, so it's man, like 62B9874I yeah, I wish I knew My MySpace was fucking popping back in the day Oh yeah? What was yeah. your song whenever you got on your MySpace I had page? a playlist I Yeah, I, I uploaded some code from like playlist.com I had about a hundred songs um, mostly like pop punk, like Taking Back Sunday. Maybe like we'll have a, 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 a we'll yeah. have a pod when we talk about like our. Let's a, go visit our yeah. old MySpace pages. AOL, oh. AIM, oh, all fuck. that good stuff. Yeah, Club Penguin. <laughs> oh, yo! I will pull up my Club Penguin right now for you guys. Yeah, make sure to message me on RuneScape. All right, boys, it's been real. We'll ch- check in next <laughs> week. We're uh, we'll give you a little look see at the new Nathan for you. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. so we'll excited. See, uh, what I'm else? so excited. All right, guys. We're uh, we're closing it out. Bye. Bye. That's not fucking oh, it's, it's the okay. front bottoms, you prick. Thanks for you listening. You could have been all I want. You are my peach. You are my plum. You are my earth. You are my sun. All of your fingers, all of your toes, the back of your hat, on the tip of your nose. <laughs> Bottom mic, bottom mic. When there are no mics to buy, buy about. that mic. You can buy the mic and register, but we did not buy headphones or that. Okay, bye.